welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. Well, good morning again, everyone, and... uh... Glad you could join us online for worship and a time in God's Word. So uh, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 56. Uh, we're going to look at the entire chapter this morning. Uh, the message is entitled, The Inclusiveness of God. And we talk about inclusiveness of God. We're talking about God's grace. How far and wide or how far reaching does God's grace extend? Is it limited to certain types of people, maybe uh, certain ethnicities? Or is it limited like, hey, you know what? I've sinned so badly that God's grace cannot extend to me. Well, we're going to look at that this we're going to look at that this morning. Uh, So in Isaiah 56, God is going to use two examples to exemplify how far reaching his grace is. Grace is, and it is inclusive to those who would follow after him. So he's going to use the example of a foreigner and a eunuch to illustrate that point. And so uh, this morning we're going to first, let's read the first chapter as God, or the first verse, I'm sorry, as God makes a call to his people about what he desires them to do. And so let's look at verse one. It says this, thus says the Lord, preserve justice. And do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come, and my righteousness is to be is about to be revealed. So here God calls his people, his covenant people, to do two things in the midst of all that's going on in their world. And as you know, just from a historical perspective, what's going on here in Isaiah 56, again, Isaiah is continually preparing God's people to go through a hard time. They're about to be taken into captivity. And he wants to tell them how to live in the midst of that uh, before it happens, when it happens, and after it happens. And so that's why he says in verse 1 that my salvation is about to come and my righteousness is about to be revealed. He's taking the perspective here that something that is, salvation is already here, but it has not yet happened in its fullest capacity. God is letting them know that eventually, once you go into captivity, my salvation is going to come in the sense I'm going to bring you back to the land. And in that time, before it and during it, God calls them to do two things, as you can see in the very first verse. He says, preserve justice and do righteousness. God wants his people to observe the law and to follow God's law. And to preserve justice. I'm sorry. Preserve justice and observe the law. Those are the two things that he wants them to do. No matter what else is going on. Sometimes we have a tendency, uh, you know, when things are going bad. When things aren't going our way. To all of a sudden kind of let loose our grip on God. And start to do things the way we used to do them. Or try to take situations out of God's hands and do them our way. And God is saying here, no, no, no. Don't do that. My salvation is about to come. I'm going to save you. I'm going to deliver you from this. But in the meantime, you continue to preserve justice 
and do righteousness. This isn't a call, hey, this is how you get saved. You uh, preserve justice and you do what's right. No, this is what you do because you are saved. And so that's what God is describing to his people today. Again, as I mentioned a few moments ago, we in the church and people in general tend to maybe do things their own way when trials come. And we have to refrain from doing that. Uh, Peter gives a warning about this in 2 Peter chapter 3. I want to share this with you. Again, you know, we've lived, uh, maybe you've lived following God for quite some time. And you know what? Uh, sometimes I want to take things into my own hand because God's not moving quick enough. This is a warning in 2 Peter about that. That, hey, don't try to resolve your problems on your own. Instead, serve God even in the midst of those hard times. And so in 2 Peter, Peter is talking to the church about really the end of the world. Like, how do you live up into the end of the world, which would be the most disastrous time in one sense, but then the most glorious time for the believer. And this is what he says. He says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 through 14, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away, and the roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its work will be burned up. So this is what's coming, he's telling the church. So what is the church supposed to do up until that time? He says, since all these things are about to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for the hastening, the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in him, in peace, spotless, and blameless. And so you see here the apostle saying, hey, just because these things are coming, or because these things are coming, how should you be? Should you freak out? Should you take matters into your own hand? No. Own hands? No. He says, no. We are to be found in, found in Christ, in Him, in peace, spotless, and blameless. Similar to what Isaiah is saying here in verse 1, preserve justice and do what's right. No matter what else is going on, no matter what is coming your way, you continually follow God. And there will be a great reward for the person that does that. And that's what Isaiah addresses in verse 2 of chapter 56. Look at what he says. Here's the reward for, people, for the people that are preserving justice and doing righteousness. He says this, How blessed is the man who does this the son of man who takes hold of it, who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and keeping his hand from doing any evil. He's saying you're going to be happy. That's what the word blessed means. It means happy is the man that does these things. Happy ultimately is a person that follows the Lord. That is the end result. They're going to be happy because they follow God's commandments by not profaning the Sabbath and they keep themselves from doing what is evil. This is talking about the whole, uh, the whole of a religious experience. Not only is it ceremonial in the sense of keeping the Sabbath, but it's also how we live our lives on the day-to-day -day basis. It's outwardly. Right? We demonstrate our love for God by not doing what is evil. 
So we keep his laws by observing religious, um, uh, like Sunday service, reading God's word, praying, but we also live it out on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's what he's saying here in Isaiah chapter 2. This is the happy person. This is the person that will be blessed by God. And so the Lord gives this general call to his people, and now he's going to address those that who are maybe outside of the covenant of God. So this answers the question, how far-reaching is God great, God's grace to you and to me? And so let's look at verse 3. And as I, I mentioned, he's going to use two examples of people that are outside of the nation of Israel. Number one is going to be foreigners, and number two, there'll be eunuchs. And he, these are two people that represent all those, again, outside of the people of Israel. And so let's read it, and then I'll come and explain that. Look, look at verse 3. He said, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord, the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. So the foreigner here represents all those who are not descendants of Israel. Uh, in a historical concept of what's going on here, what Isaiah is alluding to is that, hey, there are going to be people in the captivity who are not from the nation of Israel, who when my uh, salvation is revealed and I bring you back to your land, they're going to join you. They're going to join the household of Israel. They're going to want to follow after God. And when they come back, they're going to say, well, even though I'm with the nation of Israel, God is going to exclude me because I'm not uh, an Israelite. So that would be like Gentiles, for the most part, most of us today. Um, this is who he's referring to as the foreigners. So that's one person he's going to talk about. The second one is the eunuch. And a eunuch, as you know, or may, maybe you don't know, it's a man who's been castrated. right? And Isaiah may be using this person in particular as a graphic way to describe the far-reaching grace of God. Right? Because a eunuch back then is, is mostly somebody that has dedicated themselves to a pagan god. And so they've castrated themselves or dedicated themselves to the service of a pagan king. And so was, can God's grace reach that person? Or it could, Isaiah may also be using this as somebody who has rejected God's creative design for religious reasons as well. They, they believe they need to be celibate. And so they've castrated themselves. He also may be using it uh, to explain somebody that is least likely to serve, to be a servant of the Lord. The main point, I believe, that Isaiah is using a eunuch is again to describe that these eunuchs are not beyond the grace of God. Therefore, no man is beyond the grace of God. There is no sin that anybody has committed that can outreach or be so far away from the grace of God that God cannot forgive him. And so, again, I think these are two types of people demonstrating us, for us, how far-reaching God's grace is, how inclusive God's grace is. So the question may be, well, what do these two types of people need to do in order to receive God's grace? Can a, a, uh, can a foreigner become an Israelite? Can they change their ethnicity? Can the eunuch erase what he has done? Can he erase his past sins? Well, obviously, neither of those things can be done. Hence, that's why they feel the, the, the severity of their exclusion in verse 3. Again, 
where the foreigner says, God's going to separate me from his people. And the eunuch says, I'm going to be like a dried tree. I'm not going to be fruitful because of what I've done. And so God addresses this through the prophet Isaiah on how God's grace can include a foreigner and a eunuch. And so let's go to verse 4 and see first as he describes the eunuch. He says this. So this is what the eunuch must do. For thus says the Lord, the eunuch who keeps my Sabbath and chooses what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, to them I will give my house and within my walls a memorial, a name better than that of sons and daughters, and I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. So God says to the eunuch through the prophet Isaiah, hey, these are the things that will demonstrate or that will show that my grace is extended to you. Going back to verse 4, by keeping my Sabbath, by choosing to do what pleases me and holding fast my covenant. This talks about their, their relationship with God, becoming a covenant keeper with God. That's all that Isaiah is saying here. Right? It doesn't mean you only keep the Sabbath and nothing else. No, you keep all of God's commandments and you view those as important in your life. That's what the eunuch must do. When they accept the covenant of God, they make the Lord their God and they live out his covenants for him. This is how they become the people of God. And then God gives them a reward. Did you see that in verse 5? A greater reward that they could ever have. Again, let's look at verse 5. To them, so to those people, meaning the eunuchs, who keep covenant with God, become part of the people of the covenant, he says, I will give them a, my, in my house and within my walls a memorial. So the picture is this, that God's going to say, you know what? I'm going to remember you. Even though you physically uh, castrated yourself, and which means you're not going to have children, you're not going to have an inheritance or people to carry on your name, I'm going to carry on your name. I'm going to remember you. It's a picture of like, you know, putting uh, pictures up at your home to remember your children and remember people that are important in your life. This is what God's doing with the eunuch. He says, I'm going to uh, make a memorial in my house, in my very walls. Just imagine that. I don't think it's literally going to happen because God doesn't literally have a house. But you get the picture of how important somebody is to God, that God would put your picture or memorial of you up on his walls in his home. It's a very special person that would occupy that place in God's heart. And God is saying the eunuch can do that. And not only that, he tells the eunuch, I'm going to give you a name better than that of sons and daughters. Because you can have children and they're not going to carry on your name, I'm going to carry on your name. I'm going to give you a better name. In fact, at the end of the verse, he says, I'm going to give you an everlasting name which will not be cut off. That's the promise to the eunuch that makes covenant with God. Is God's going to give him something better than he could ever have. God's going to erase the sins that he committed. God's going to erase the ramifications of his sins and give him so much more. And so that's a, a just, again, a reminder to us of how far-reaching God's grace is to us. And so let's, let's move on now. As God now addresses the foreigner in, in verses 6 uh, through 8. He says, Also the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord. So how does a foreigner join himself to the Lord? Again, he can't change his ethnicity. 
right? The covenant people of God were Israelites. Well, how do foreigners join in to that? Well, he describes it. How do they join themselves? Look at the second part of verse 6. To minister to him, meaning God, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. It's threefold there. The evidence that they've joined themselves to God's covenant is they become ministers to God. They love God and they become his servants. They dedicate their life to serving him. And it's played out in the, in the last half of verse 6 by they keep from profaning the Sabbath and they hold fast my covenants. So it's not just in name. There's actually a, their part in keeping God's covenants by joining themselves to God is evidence in their lives. They become ministers to God. They almost become, they're like foreigners now who become priests to God. They're included in the priesthood of all believers. And, and we'll look at a verse that later talks about that in that extends to us as well. And so because the foreigners have done this, because they've joined God's covenant, look at the reward that's given to them. And that's laid out in verses 7 through 8. He says, even those I will bring to my holy mountain. So not only will they be allowed into the country and serving alongside the nation of Israel, he gives this picture they're allowed to come into the temple, what was reserved only for the priests. He says, even those I will bring to my holy mountain, and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer, for all peoples, not just the nation of Israel, but for all peoples who keep covenant with God, they will be allowed into God's house. God's house will be open to them. And so look at where the foreigner goes from being outside to becoming inside because they keep covenant with him. Not only that, God says in verse 8, the Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel declares Yet others I will gather to them, to those already gathered. So when God calls his people, the nation of Israel, those who follow him, calls them and gathers them to himself, he's also going to grab the foreigners, the Gentiles, and bring them to himself. He'll grab all of them together and make them one people. And you can read about that in Ephesians and Galatians, how God does that. So that's the promise to those two sets of people. Nobody is too far away from God in their ethnicity, so to speak, that God can't reach them. You don't have to become an Israelite, change your ethnicity, which you can't do anyways, to become saved by God. And there's no sin that you can commit, past, present, or future, that God's grace can extend to. Hence the example of the eunuch. So with all this good news that the prophet is given, he also gives a set of warnings as well that each and every one of us would, would uh, be well to take heed to. And that's in verses 9 through 12. Here's a warning given specifically, though, to the leaders of the nation of Israel about their role and how they are not doing what they've been called to do. So in verses 1 through 8, you have this call from God, of, of really a blessing. Hey, come to me. And I will give you an eternal name. I will give you uh, grace and forgiveness. And here in verse 9, God calls down judgment now on people who have violated the covenant of God. 
That's why in verse 9 he says, All you beasts of the field, all you beasts of the forest, come to eat. So this is judgment on the people uh, who have, we'll see in a moment, who are the false prophets, who have not been leading God's people the right way. He calls judgment on them. And he calls judgment on them for three specific reasons. Look at verse 10. He says, his watchmen, meaning God's watchmen, those people that are supposed to be watching out for God's people, his watchmen are blind. All of them know nothing. All of them are dumb dogs, unable to bark. Dreamers lying down who love to slumber. God is judging them for their laziness. They're supposed to be out on the ramparts, so to speak, looking, uh, you know, telling the times, looking for invading armies, advising God's people on the way to safety, and they're asleep. They're blind. They don't know anything, the prophet says. And so they're being judged for their laziness. Secondly, in verse 11, they're being judged for their greed. Look at verse 11. It says, and the dogs, another way of describing the leaders currently, their dogs are greedy and they are not satisfied. So they're not looking out for the people, they're looking out for themselves, which leads to the third one, which is self-concern. At the, the latter half of verse 11, it says, And they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each one to his unjust gain to the last one. So they're greedy, I mean, they want everything for themselves. And then in verse, the latter half of verse 11 describes how they only concern for themselves. They've gone their own way. They're looking out for themselves. They're, they're supposed to be shepherds looking out for God's people, but they're only looking out for themselves to stay in power, to drive to, to misrepresent God. And this is really, as I was studying, really just a warning to teachers of God's law, maybe even pastors, that we need to be careful. We need to be out on the front lines directing and guiding our people, helping discern the times of all that's going on and not giving them false messages that everything is okay because that is exactly what is happening in verse 12. If you look at verse 12, these leaders are so just concerned with themselves and keeping power, being lazy and greedy and self-concerning, that they give false uh, teachings to their people. Look at what it says in verse 12. It says, Come, they say, this is speaking to the leaders, let us get wine and let us drink heavily of strong drink, and tomorrow will be like today, only more so. So here at the very beginning, you have Isaiah the prophet speaking for God, calling people that, hey, bad times are coming. This is how you should live. This is how you get right with God. And here at the end, you have the leader saying, you know what? Tomorrow's, nothing's coming. Tomorrow's going to be like today even more so. So let's just drink it up. Let's just live it up because nothing really is going to happen. They haven't discerned the warnings of the prophet Isaiah at all throughout the book of Isaiah, as you know. He's been constantly warning God's people to wake up that judgment is coming but even though judgment is coming, God's going to be with you. God's going to strengthen you. God's going to get you out of it. And here we see in verses 10 through 12 that these leaders are not doing that. They're, they're acting like nothing's going to happen. That everything's just going to be like it was yesterday. And tomorrow's going to be the same. And so let's just kind of, so to speak, eat, drink, and be merry. They've acted foolishly in directing their people. 
and nothing's going to change. Unfortunately, this is the sentiment of non-believers or, or people that aren't of the covenant of God, that even though things look crazy, they just think, hey, it's going to get better. We don't have to worry about this world. Or even those people who maybe have been raised in the church for quite some time, they could tend to fall this way. Is that, you know what, my parents or the preacher, I've been listening to a preacher for years and years and years, saying that God's coming back, that judgment is going to come, and God's going to do this. Well, you know what, nothing's ever happened. Everything's still the same. We get up every Sunday, we go to church, we hear the, pa- the pastor, or we go to Sunday school and hear the teacher, and then we come back and do the same thing. There's nothing really to worry about. I mean, maybe he's just up there and he's full of, uh, you know, hot, what is it, hot air, something like that. Well, we have to be careful of that. And Jesus himself and the apostles in the New Testament warned of this attitude as well. And I want to read that to you. If you look in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21, Jesus uh, talks of a parable of a rich man who really just had it all and had so much he didn't have a concern for the future and always thought it was always going to be this way. Right? Again, similar to the false prophets here in Isaiah chapter 56. Well, in Luke 12, the story uh, starts off like this in verse 17. So, uh, and he began reasoning to himself, this is speaking to the rich man, saying, what shall I do? Since I have no place to store my crops, because everything was so productive. Uh, then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns. I will build larger ones. And there, will be, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for you for many years to come. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. Again, that sentiment that, you know, everything's going to keep going the way it is. I mean, great if it does, but you know what? We live in reality. Sometimes bad things happen. And in verse 29, it concludes, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now... Who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Again, this is the example we see in Isaiah chapter 56 where these men in power have so much and they just want to keep building and building on their own life that they don't see all that's going on around them and they will be surprised when the Babylonians eventually come in and take them into captivity. And this is a little bit of the warning that Jesus is giving in Luke. Don't be so full of yourself and think that everything is going so great. I don't, you know, I could kind of relax my grip on God and my walk with God and not be prudent and not preserve justice and do righteousness. Don't be foolish like that. As a matter of fact, Peter also addresses this in 2 Peter chapter 3. In verses 3 through 6. And again, this is going back to, you know, again, the believer that's kind of heard the message over and over again. And he kind of starts to tune it out. And even begins to mock these things. This is Peter's warning. He says, know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? This is speaking of the second coming. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continue just as it was from the beginning of creation. So say, so you know what? Everyone's been saying this for a long time. You know, Jesus is coming back. We need to get right or we're going to get left. Well, I haven't seen it happen. Right? Some of, 
Some of our grandparents have been telling us since we were young. Some of you that are raised up in the church have been hearing it from the time you were very little. Beware of that. Peter continues, For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at the time was destroyed, being flooded with water. Here in an in in inference to the, uh, to the flood. For they were saying that too at the time of the flood. Look, at Noah's been building this ark for hundreds of years. And it's not even raining. Where is he going? Beware, lest we fall into those same temptations to mock the word of God. Test God by saying, you know what? They've been saying this forever. I'm going to do it my way. Again, this is the sin of the false prophets in Isaiah 56. So, with all that said, what's some points of application that we can take from this morning? I'm going to give you four points of application about God's grace. Number one, God's grace extends to all people. God's grace extends to all people. As we've seen here in Isaiah 56, is not just for the nation of Israel. It is extended to the foreigner, those who are outside of the nation of Israel. You don't have to be born of the nation of Israel to be saved, right? We are told in the New Testament that God came first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, that salvation has extended. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, that plays out over and over again. God used the nation of Israel to get His grace out to the world. And so God's grace extends to all people. The second point that we learn is that God's grace is greater than your sins. Again, thinking of the eunuch, the way Isaiah used him again, I believe, was to show that. That, hey, there's nothing in your past that God cannot forgive if you were to come to him in covenant like the eunuch. There's nothing that you did or have done or even thought of doing or think about that is so great that God, that is so great that God would not forgive you. There's nothing we could do in the future if we are God's children that he will not forgive. That should bring us all great comfort in knowing how great God's grace is. The third point of application is this, is that God's grace transforms us from sinners to saints. So not only does God's grace extend to all people, does God's grace greater than our sins, but it transforms us from sinners to saints. Again, the descriptions of the eunuchs and of the foreigners, if they were taken from outside of the house of Israel and put inside, serving God as priests. There's a great description of this in two verses. Uh, let me read the first one in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-10, through 10, that speaks particularly to this priesthood. And it says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Now this language, if you haven't heard it before, this was used in Exodus when God called Israel out of Egypt. He called them his own people, his royal priesthood, a holy nation. And here Peter is applying that to the church. The church is now the chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? 
Continue on in second in first Peter, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, being transformed from that sinner to saint. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, something they didn't have, now they have it. God's transformed them from sinners to saints. He goes on, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now that you are God's children, now that you have inherited all the blessings of God's children, go out and live like it. Be an example to the rest of the world. This is what he's saying. This is also illustrated in Ephesians chapter 2, another great verse describing this. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verses 4 through 9. The Apostle Paul writes, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. You see, we were dead in our trespasses. We didn't do anything, but God's grace was extended to us. Carrying on, but God's grace, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us up in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not, not as a result of works, so that no man or no one may boast. This is a great example of God's grace. God's grace is extended to include all people if you accept it. And then you will be raised up in the heavenly places with Christ. So God's grace transforms us from sinners to saints. And finally, God's grace gives us eternal life. Again, the description of the eunuch. He's like, you're going to have an eternal name. You are going to inherit eternity and spend it with God. Literally in the temple of God in this new heavens and the new earth. So God's grace is extended to all people. God's grace is greater than your sins. God's grace transforms us from sinners to saints. And God's grace gives us eternal life. So therefore, how do we respond to that? Well, I'll just two points here. First, to those of you who have yet to receive the grace of God. To those of you who say, you know what, I think I'm the alien or the foreigner. I'm, I'm not in the covenant of God. Or to those of you who say, you know, I'm like the eunuch. I've done things that, you know what, God can't forgive. I pray that you will see that God's grace can extend to you as well. And that you will receive the grace of God and follow him. Make covenant with God. And you will inherit all these things. And to those who have already received the grace of God, I would say this. Let us preserve justice, just as Isaiah said, and do righteousness until the Lord's final salvation has come and is revealed at his second coming when he comes for his church. And let us live in such a way that those foreigners and eunuchs in our life, so to speak, they will 
see our worship of God. They will see our lives, and they will want to join in the worship of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you once again for your word this morning. Thank you for the power of your grace and how it extends out to all people. To those who would receive it, Lord, you've promised that you will not reject them. So I pray this morning that if there is anybody listening who has not yet received your grace, who thinks that, you know what, my sin's so bad, I've done some things that nobody would forgive, not even God. Lord, I pray that, you would, that they would see and hear how gracious and loving you are and they would cry out to you for forgiveness and they would receive your grace. And for those of us, again, Lord, who have already received it, may we close this service this morning by proclaiming your grace through worship. And we thank you for this time we have, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.